So glad to see everyone here today, the, those of us in the room, those joining us online. Um, if you don't know me online, my name is Scott Seal. I serve as one of the ministers here, and usually it's Scott Meyer uh, bringing the message. He is out today, and I've been blessed with the opportunity to share a message with you. This church is a church I love, and I've been very thankful the last uh, several weeks with how this church has loved my family through some illnesses in the family, through my father's passing. But one of the, I guess, advantages of that, I've spent a lot of time with um, my side of the family in these last few weeks in conversations, but also together. Um, that's a good thing until your sisters start sharing stories about you as, as a little kid, and you're... My kids are there, and they're getting to hear some of this, too. Um, I have two older sisters, and they always uh, like to tell stories about little Scotty. They used to refer to me at times. You may not refer to me as that. Um, they would tell stories about stuff, and they told a story about one time when we were uh, a few weeks ago. They told the story about the time I was stuck. Now, I've been stuck in many times. One time I got stuck in the washing machine, but that's a completely different story. Um, don't try that, kids. Um, this time, they were talking about time I was stuck in a hole. Now, I've also had access to uh, some of the uh, pictures I've been able to get a hold of. So this is roughly 10-year-old me. Isn't he cute? Um, you can't imagine that a kid like that would make some decisions that weren't always wise. But I did often. But this is one that stuck. Uh, some of our campers uh, from camp may have heard this one before. I was about 10 years old, and my friend Teddy here in this next picture, I was able to find him. Um, I built that, by the way. It fell apart very quickly, but I built that. Uh, I had my friend Teddy with me, and I had dug a hole back in our garden area. We had a space at our house that was kind of a, a backyard uh, here. Let me show you that picture, uh, the backyard area. We had this space over here that was a garden, often a garden, but in certain times of the year, it was my play area. If they ever excavate over here, um, they're going to find tons of uh, matchbox cars and uh, some other things as well. Well, I dug a hole back there. Now, it wasn't extremely deep because I'm not really tall right now, but I, I dug a hole deep enough for me to stand in at that age where it came to here. Great idea. I got in the hole, and I convinced my friend Teddy and my just older sister Carrie to bury me up to my neck, because I fancied myself as a Houdini. <clears throat> I'm going to get out, that's part of the washer story, but I'm going to get out of this hole. So I got in the hole and let them fill it in. I got in the hole like this. You see where this is going. Um, I should have gotten in the hole like this, but no, I was like this, and they put the dirt in, they packed it down, and I'm going to work to get out. This smart kid right here is going to get out of the hole. Turns out I was stuck. I was stuck good. They had packed it down, and this is in Southern California. When we were about a few miles from the beach where my house was, when it starts to get evening in Southern California, it gets cold very quickly, especially if you're near the beach. I didn't even realize that is the ground gets cold very quickly. So I'm in a hole, trying to get out. Don't help me, don't help me, I got this, I got this. And after a while, I realized I can't get out. And so I need my friend's help and my sister's help. And they're trying, but they really packed the dirt in good. They're trying. And I'm like, keep digging, keep digging, keep digging, help me, help me, help me. 
it's starting to get cold. My lips are starting to turn blue. My sister notices this and starts to panic and says, I need to go get mom. Ten-year-old me, no, don't go get mom, don't go get mom. Um, I thought, you know, freezing to death in a hole was better than getting mom and telling her Scott buried himself in a hole. Well, I was so cold, but I was so stuck. There was just no way they were going to get me out on their own power. And so finally I said, go, 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 go get mom, because I was cold. And mom came and somehow got in there. They got me out of that hole. They yanked me out of that hole. I said, when they excavate the backyard, they will find a pair of black cowboy boots somewhere down. Because <laughs> they stayed there. And we never got them back. But I was stuck. I had never been that stuck before physically. And it's a thing that brings on kind of that fear and panic. I had no way out. And that's one thing if you're stuck in a hole. But there's been other times in my life, maybe you've had that in your life, where I've had that same kind of stuck feeling and it had nothing to do with the hole. It had to do with where I was, what I was doing, and that feeling of, I can't get out of this. I've made choices, I've made decisions that have put me in a hole, and this hole is going to kill me. And you've been stuck. And you wonder, is there any way out? And you don't have a friend or a sister or a mom to come get you. And you're stuck. Well, thankfully today, we're going to look at a text from Ephesians where Paul is writing to a church, to believers, and reminding them about the situation of being stuck and what God has done about that. So if you have your journals, I encourage you to open up to chapter 2, pull out your Bible, get a pen, um, mark as we go through this anything that you feel like you need to mark with. We're going to come back to some of these verses, but be ready to circle, to mark, to highlight some words. But this is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And we were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is another one of those sections where Paul gets going. Doesn't really, uh, the English doesn't really follow as easily. He just starts going and he has lots of asides. 
If you diagram sentences, Paul is a challenge to diagram. But he starts unloading a whole lot of stuff here. But let's, let's take this in sections and see what Paul has to say to the church <coughs> and to us. As he starts this out, he's pointing out that they were stuck, that we were stuck. We were stuck in this thing called sin, and we were dead. Let's get to that verse, the first part of that. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is past tense now. Following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Saying there are forces that you were subjected to. And some are still under that, are still walking in those ways. It says, among them, we all, Paul includes himself in that, it includes us. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, <coughs> excuse me, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul points out that, they were just like everyone else. But he's using past tense language because he wants them to understand where they were. They were stuck. They were not in a spot where they could do what they thought they could do. He says, you were stuck. You were not simply sick. Paul didn't say, and you were ill because of your sins. You were not doing well. He doesn't say you were, uh, you know, simply mistaken about what you were doing. You just need to work harder. You were in this sin thing and you needed to work harder. Maybe you just needed um, a little bit of help to get out of this. That's not the way Paul describes the situation, their situation, our situation. He says we were dead. Mark that, circle that, underline that. Paul doesn't mince words. He said we were dead, and there's a reason we were dead. Because sin equals dead. If you've got sin, you are dead. You are stuck. And it seems like there's no way out of that. But the wonderful part of this text is the pivot point. When Paul writes down the words, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Paul gets really wordy. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He reminds us, he reminds the Ephesians that we are stuck, we are dead in sin, but God took action. Nothing we could do to get us out of that. But thankfully, we have that phrase, but God. God took action. Here's what he did. He raised us up with him. That's Jesus. He raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. 
So we were stuck. We were dead in sin. He said, but God took action on our behalf through Christ. He says, but God, he made us alive with Christ. He made us alive. He raised us up with him. And he seated us with him. Notice every single one of these is with Christ, with him. It was through Christ's sacrifice and through his resurrection that we are able to get out of this stuckness of sin. It's through Jesus that we're made alive. Not through our own effort, not through what we want to do, but it is because of Jesus. Because here's what grace does. Grace reclaims us. Grace calls us out of what we were, what we were stuck in, and reclaims us and places us in the place that God intended us for, to be all along. When you reclaim something, you pull it out of what it was not intended to use and use it for a new purpose. God does that through his grace for each and every one of us. He reclaims us out of what we're stuck in. And it's nothing that we do. It's what he does. Because Paul wants to point this out. He makes it sure. He, he has lots of asides in this text. So he jumps to this next part. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. He's reminding us. This is not us. This is not your own doing. It's the gift. Mark that. Of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. It's really hard in America to not want to claim some of your own abilities to get you out of things. To get you successful. To make it through life of what you did. But that's not what this is about. This is about our salvation. He says, and there's nothing you did to get it. It's all based in grace. Grace is a gift. A gift. It's handed to us. Grace is not something deserved. It's not like we deserved to have God forgive us. Remember, we were in sin and trespasses. We were dead. We were behaving like the rest of the world. We were children of wrath. We don't deserve grace. Grace is not deserved. We didn't earn grace. There is nothing we can do to get ourselves out of that stuck hole. There was nothing I could do by myself to get out of that hole. I had to have outside intervention. We can't get ourselves out of sin. We have to have outside intervention from the holy God. And this wasn't a thing where we just needed a little extra help. Maybe our friends could help us. We don't need a little extra help. Grace is not that little boost that gets you over the finish line. Grace takes you from the start to the finish. There's no way we do it on our own power. It is simply a gift. I've packed, unpacked this word before. Grace and mercy are used throughout the Bible. Talking about God's grace, God's mercy. And the Hebrew word is hesed. I may pronounce that wrong. If you know Hebrew, correct me later. This is what this definition is, a working definition of this incredible gift 
that God gives us through Jesus. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Paul's reminding the the Ephesians, he's reminding us that we have this incredible grace that we don't earn, that we don't deserve, but it's given to us because God loves us. It's handed out. But it doesn't just leave it there. Paul says, you've been pulled out of death into this, this new life. You are now living. He said, you are currently with Christ in the heavenly realms. It's an existing right now. You are something different. You're no longer dead. You're not waiting for a future resurrection. You're, you're rec- resurrected now from the death of sin. But Paul says, that's not just where you sit and say, all right, made it. And you just hang on until the end. So there's something that grace pulls us to. Let's jump to the next section in the verse. Verse 10, Paul describes the church and he describes us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace calls us to something. Grace redefines us. He said we're no longer dead in sin. We're no longer children of wrath. Grace redefines who we are. It changes our identity. Paul says we are now God's workmanship. In another version, it calls us his masterpiece. What an amazing picture. From a child of wrath of sin, to be transformed by grace through Christ, raised up in Him. Some good baptism language there. We're raised up to a new life, and we are now called a masterpiece by our own Maker. We are created for that. Grace calls us to something new. To not just accept it and sit in the forgiveness, but it calls us to something new. To be living out this workmanship. To be living out this masterpiece that God created us to be. See, we were designed and created in Christ for good works. That's what Paul says. He says we're designed and created for good works. That's what God was doing when he poured out his grace on us. When he raised us up with Christ as we identified with him, we've been designed and recreated for good works. Something to do. Something to be. Here's the cool part. We get to participate in bringing the reality of this kingdom everywhere we go. God has raised us up. We're with Christ. We are beside him in the heavenlies. We are living in the Now and the not yet. We are already redeemed as followers of him. He says, and now we have this incredible opportunity to participate in bringing the reality of the kingdom wherever we go. In big ways and in small ways. Moms, dads, as you parent, as you lead your kids, you get to bring the reality of the kingdom to that relationship. Kids, as you 
listen and submit and follow your parents, you get to bring the reality of the kingdom to that relationship. In your marriage, husbands and wives, you get to be the reality of the kingdom in that relationship, whether the other spouse does or not. When you walk into your workplace, when you walk into your school, you are carrying with you this incredible grace of God that you get to step out and be His new creation, His workmanship. You talk to those that others don't talk to. You offer mercy and grace to those that don't deserve it. You love those who are unlovable. You bring the kingdom everywhere you go. What an awesome idea that is, that we get to be a part of that. We were redeemed, we were bought back, we were brought to life by grace, but not just to sit in that and enjoy it, but to live it out and participate in God's kingdom, sharing that grace wherever you go. So here's the secret about the awake church when it comes to this text. Paul wants us to know that the awake church is saved by grace, not works. We've got to understand it's nothing we've done. We can't have a message that tells the world, when you can get it together, come. We're ready to have you be a part of this thing called church. It's not about that. It's about the fact that we realize we did nothing to deserve it. We, too, were dead. And it's only by the grace of God that we're alive. It's not by what we do, but it's by who God is. And the other thing the awake church recognizes is that it's powered by grace for works. We're not a fortress. We're not a nice spa or club for those that are in this grace to hang out in. We are powered by this grace to be about the work of the kingdom on this campus, off this campus, in your home, in your workplace, in your school. That is what the Awake Church realizes is we have an incredible power through the grace of God to bring the kingdom everywhere we go. Imagine that if we lived out that as an Awake Church, as Western Hills lived out the fact that we are saved by grace and that we're empowered by grace. This community will change. Your family will change. Your life will change. Imagine that. If we're the awake church, living in that grace and being powered by it. We sang a song before coming into this message, Amazing Grace, a classic known by many. It is a wonderful, wonderful song. Let me tell you a little about it. You may know the story about it. It was written by a man named John Newton. He lived, kids, a long time ago. That's a good answer for that. Simple summary of his life is that he was a sea captain. He captained a ship. He was involved in the African slave trade. So he went and took people from their homeland, other places, to live in servitude, to be slaves. And that's what he did. And in part of his life, there was a, a point where there was a storm on the ship and things weren't great. He had been reading some of uh, Christian literature. 
And during that time, he said, you know, God, I, I, I see I need a change. And he started that process. And we'd like to say it was this incredible story of, bam, wow. He continued in the slave trade for many years. He tried to make it better. He tried to improve conditions. He tried to have Bible studies and worship services with his crew. But he came to the realization is he couldn't do it himself. He was trying to dig his way out of his own stuck hole of sin. He had to let God redeem him. And so he quit the slave trade, ended up back in England, and began preaching, began writing songs, and he would never claim to have been perfect. But here's what it says on a tombstone by his grave, an engraving that was written by him before his death. Because he wanted everyone to know that he was saved by grace, by this amazing God. It says this, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. It's an incredible testimony, and it's our testimony too. We were stuck in sin, and by the grace of God, we've been raised. And now, like John Newton, we have the incredible opportunity to take that kingdom everywhere we go. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. That you loved us so much that while we were so far from you, stuck in our sin, you gave Jesus. And through your power, you raised him and you raise us. Father, we pray that we acknowledge it's all from you and that we dedicate our lives to living out this grace. Pray this in Jesus' name.